and so we're trying to record them. And I'm using some cameras for Bible and they think that's a big book, it's got a lot of words in it, a lot of pages, small print usually, and uh, it's just too much to try to take in. What is the Bible and how can we ever deal with this thing? The book of Hebrews is the, not the only, but the most significant and most helpful book in the Bible to describe for us what the Apostle Paul uh, spoke of as rightly dividing the word of truth understanding how it's organized and how to use the various parts of it because there are all kinds of literature. There's prophecy and there's poetry and there's history and there's commands and instructions and there's promises, all kinds of things in the scriptures. So how do we deal with the various parts of it? The book of Hebrews describes for us the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we've been seeing in various lessons this weekend how that uh, the New Testament is better than the Old. And the Old Testament was, well, it's old. And what is old is uh, ready to vanish away. So it has been, uh, it has been removed from uh, our responsibility for obedience. It was given to the Jews, not to everybody. And it was given for the time until the Christ should come. And so when he came, uh, he took the Old Testament out of the way, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. When he died, the Old Testament, as a law, uh, died with him. And then uh, the New Testament teaches us that we still go back and read it. We learn from history. We learn who God is. We learn how we relate to God, how we respond to God. And we learn how to then understand and make application of the New Testament that Jesus has uh, given to us. So that, in a nutshell, is the... Uh, purpose of the book of Hebrews and why uh, we study from it. And there are many lessons in here such as uh, primarily, okay, learn from the Old Testament, but do this. And learn what happened when they did it sincerely and enthusiastically, and learn what happened when they didn't do it at all, or they didn't do it honestly, or they did it hypocritically, and such as that. So we've been looking at lessons like that this weekend. Today, as we begin, we want to look at Hebrews chapter 11. And verse number 4. Hebrews 11 and verse number 4. The scripture says, Now by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it he, being dead, yet speaks. Well, that's what we're just saying. He's dead, but we can still learn a lesson from Abel and his worship. It was by faith that Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Contrary to what many people believe in the world, faith is not a feeling. It's not a, a uh, well, I just rather have it this way. It's not an opinion. It's not uh, a, a, a relationship. It is a conviction that leads to action. 
if I wanted to go to Chicago, I would find out what roads go there, or what bus or train or airplane or whatever. And when I learned the facts of that's how you get there, and I really wanted to be there, then I would take action to go by that means. I had faith that that's the way to get to Chicago. And that's true with anything that we're talking about with regard to faith or belief. Faith, as it's described in the Bible, is a conviction that leads to an action. One of the chapters in the Bible is devoted entirely to expressions of examples of that truth. And that chapter is this one, Hebrews chapter 11. We begin by seeing in the first verse that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We can't see God. We can't touch him. We can't hear him. We can't taste him. We can't smell him. The five senses that we have in the physical body do not lead us to any identification or understanding of God. We only know God by faith. And many people say, well, I have faith that there is a God and that he wants this and he does that. Yeah, but he's given us a book. And he's told us who he is and what he wants and how we are to do And faith is reading the book, recognizing its truth, believing its evidence, and coming to that conclusion that, yes, indeed, Jesus is the Son of God. John wrote his gospel record for that purpose. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that uh, believing you might have life in his name. So we read and we learn the evidence. We weigh the evidence, evaluate it in our minds, and come to the conclusion that it's true, and this is the root, uh, book by which we are to walk. Faith simply cannot be known. You know, I can't know that you have faith. You can't know that I have faith, except in what I see in you, what you see in me. In the book of James, which follows Hebrews here, in chapter 2, look at verse 18. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, I know that you have faith, when I see you putting it into practice. You can tell me all day long that you believe in God, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but if you don't live accordingly, your words make no sense. Your words are not believable. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you're not keeping his commandments, you're showing that you don't love him, that you don't really believe he's all that authoritative, and you have to give answer for how you respond to him. Show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. That's the only way you can show your faith. You can say it, you can tell it, you might be telling the truth. But people will know you're telling the truth when they see how you live. We've heard it said all of our lives, I guess, that a picture is worth a thousand words. This 11th chapter of Hebrews gives us many word pictures of faith. We can see examples of what faith is. Here in this fourth verse, we're looking at Abel. It says here that by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. If you go back and look in Genesis chapter 4, you can see the record of Abel uh, worshiping God. He came with his brother Cain to worship God. The first record of worship that we find in the Bible 
is these two men in Genesis chapter 4. They both came to worship God. But the distinction is drawn here when God tells us that it was by faith that Abel offered. If we're reading in Genesis, we're going to find out that God had respect unto Abel and his offering, but to Cain and to his offering, God had not respect. Well, why would that be? Is God just arbitrary? I think I'll choose you, but I don't like you. You know, many people say that's what God is, that's what God does. We may not understand why God had that action. You know, Abel brought from the first ones of the flock, he brought a sheep. And Cain brought the uh, fruit ground. He was a gardener. He was a farmer. He brought his vegetables, his, his uh, crops, whatever they were. And God didn't want that. God, wanted, God accepted Abel. He didn't accept Cain. And we don't understand why until we come here. It was by faith that Abel offered. Well, what does that even mean? Does that mean that Abel just decided, I think this is what I'd like to give to God. I believe that that's what God wants, and so that's what I'll do. How can we know what God wants? Do we just make it up in our mind? You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, nobody can read the mind of God. I can't read your mind. You can't read my mind. How can we read the mind of God? Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians is about verse number 11. But then he goes on to say, but we, meaning the apostles, we have the mind of God because he told us what he wants. And he told us to write it down. And that's what the whole Bible is. If you look through the Old Testament prophets, you find page after page after page, hundreds and hundreds of times that they said, God said this, God told me to write that, God told me to tell you this. And, you know, that's a bold claim. We hear sometimes preachers say this, uh, say the same kind of thing. Sometimes we'll, we'll look at one of these TV preachers and you say, you know, I prayed hard last night and God told me to wake up this morning and tell you this. Well, anybody can say that. But the uh, truth is in the, the doing, in, in, the, in the reading and practice. Uh, when God tells someone, when somebody thinks that God has told him today to do something, and it winds up being different from or opposite to what he told in the Bible, then you've got God being the author of confusion. But God is not the author of confusion. It's all over the church of Garden. God doesn't contradict himself. Oh, he changes his plan. He told Adam to worship this way. He, and Abraham and Noah and those back at that time. And then he sent Moses and gave him a written law. He said, now I want my people to worship this way. And that lasted until Jesus came. And Jesus said, now we're done with that. And God wants us to do this way. And so he's had different plans through the years. But they're not contradictory because in every one of the, the uh, everything was leading up to Jesus. In John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, you search the scriptures. looking through the Old Testament. And you're thinking you're finding eternal life in there. And that's what's talking about me. So the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus all the way through. So God has had one constant plan from the beginning to the end. And when we come to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, to get back to Abel, we read that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So now we know that by faith, Abel, Abel couldn't have offered anything by faith unless God had told him what to do. And he heard it, and he believed it, and he did it. You can see Abel's faith in what he did. He did what God told him to do. God didn't tell Cain anything about bringing grain or vegetables or whatever it was. And so God didn't respect that. He didn't accept that. The first record we have of anybody worshiping God, God rejected half of them. God doesn't accept just everything in worship that we might want to give him. 
He has told us what he wants. In John chapter 4, Jesus was talking with a woman from Samaria. And she was saying, well, what about this worship thing? You Jews say we've got to go to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. And that was what the law of God said for those people at that time, until Jesus died. And she said, but, well, but we've been taught up here in Samaria that we can do a different thing. And Jesus said, you know, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, that's what God wants from us. So we have to find out what the truth is. What does God want us to do? And then he wants us to do it with the Spirit. Not just outwardly. Don't just go through the motions. When you're, We talked yesterday about singing these songs. Do you realize that these songs are sometimes prayers to God? Are you even thinking about God? Or do you mean the words you say when you're singing these songs? Are you thinking about your personal relationship with God and the judgment day that you're going to be facing sometime in the church? Worship in spirit, but worship in truth, he said. So what's the truth? In Acts chapter 20 and verse number 7, Luke tells us that upon the first day of the week when the disciples were come together to break bread, Paul preached to them. So now we find three important facts. They came together on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, the, ch the disciples, the church, the Christians, come together. They come together to break bread, that is, to eat the Lord's Supper. That's an expression that's used several times throughout the New Testament. They refer to eating the Lord's Supper, as Jesus described it and inaugurated in Matthew 26 and Luke 22. It tells us uh, to eat the unleavened bread and drink the uh, unleavened uh, fruit of the vine, the grape, the grape juice, as it were. And so they, they came together the first day of the week. To break bread, that's the day that you eat the Lord's Supper, not some other. Many people want to just do it all kinds of times. The Lord said it's on the first day of the week. And he didn't say it just this once. Paul said it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 10 and chapter 11. And the third thing we see here is that Paul preached to them. So when they were assembled together, they opened the book of God and they considered, they contemplated God's word and how it applied to their lives and what ought we to do about it. And then in Acts chapter 12, in verse number 12, we see that Peter came to the house of Mary where many were gathered together praying. Christians assembled together to pray, to pray to God. And the Bible tells us much about prayer. It tells us the purpose of prayer. It tells us the method of prayer. It tells us uh, the sincerity that we ought to have, the attitude in prayer. We, uh, we pray to God, we give Him praise, we pray to God, and we uh, give Him thanks, we pray to God, and we ask blessings from Him. All of these things. And we pray for one another, to encourage one another, to uh, be concerned for the spiritual welfare of one another. So they ate the Lord's Supper, they studied the Bible, they uh, prayed together. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, Paul says, when you come together, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody unto the Lord. When you sing, it's to the Lord. It's not just to fill a room with noise. It's not just to fill up the time until the preacher talks so he doesn't get the whole hour and you have to listen to a lot of words. It's praise to God. And it comes from the spirit of man. These are the words that I want to express to you, God, so here we are expressing it together. That's the idea 
in our singing as worship. Remember, Jesus said God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. Well, that's the truth. We have to supply the spirit of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 2, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. And so another way that we uh, serve God, worship God, is by giving back to him. You know, sometimes people will say, what? I'm sure glad we're not in that Old Testament. Well, they had to do all those animal sacrifices and all that blood and guts and butchering and everything, or, or, or bringing in, you know, a big basket full of our crops when we could be putting it in our own bins. I'm glad we don't have to go to all of that. And did you read the book of Leviticus and how many different kinds of sacrifices they are? Boy, I'm glad we don't have those kinds of sacrifices in the New Testament. And we don't even have any sacrifice, I would say. Well, we do have some sacrifice. Sometimes when we come and we see the collection basket coming down the road, and we go, well, let's see, what have I got in my pocket here? Here's a quarter, you know, here's a dollar. Give back a little bit to God. And that's good, that's okay. You know, give God what's in your heart to give Him. But Paul said, when you come together on the first day of the week, so we're sitting back here, I don't know, is it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever, but the first day of the week is coming, so I'm thinking now about what am I going to give to God? And what do I give? Give back to God, he said, as the Lord has prospered you. Your gift is a recognition to God of your gratitude for what he has given to you. Did he give you $10 last week? Well, you know, give accordingly. Show him how grateful you are for $10. Did he give you $10,000? Show him how grateful you are. Sometimes we don't think about worshiping God, thanking God when it comes to our giving. But Abel illustrates to us that we are to worship God by faith. And there are many other examples in this uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews about expressions of faith that we can see in the actions of people. In verses 24 through 29, we read a little bit about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense and reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians were saying to do was drowned. All of this stuff they did because God said, do it this way. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John wrote to us all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's not of the Father. That's of the world. Moses understood that. He had all the glory, all the opulence of the palace of Egypt the greatest, most affluent country in the world at that time. And Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses. He might have come to be the next Pharaoh. But he gave all that up because God said, I want you to go over here and do this. By faith, he forsook Egypt. Proverbs chapter 16 teaches this in verse number 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Moses didn't let that pride hold him back to do uh, what Pharaoh wanted instead of what God wanted. Further about pride, 
Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. When we become overly proud of who we think we are or what we think we have in this world or what we think we might get if we follow this path or that, that's going to keep us from a right relationship with God and from a, a, a realistic hope of an eternity in heaven with God. A high look, a proud heart, a plowing of the wicked is sin, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21 and verse number 4. And so Peter said in chapter 5 and verse 5 of his first epistle, you younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yeah, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud great to the humble. Let us love one another as equals and treat one another as we want to be treated. Do unto others as you would that others would do unto you. And you do it first. You, uh, you go first and set the example and show people how they ought to be behaving. In uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 7 will tell us about Noah. You can read about Noah in Genesis chapter 6. 7, 8, and 9. There's a lot of space in Genesis given to Noah and that great flood. You know, God said to Noah, to paraphrase, he said, Noah, I want you to build a boat because it's going to rain and flood the whole world and everything breathing is going to die except who's in the boat. The scripture says it had never rained before, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. That's how God created the world in the beginning. And Noah might have said, rain? What's rain? What do you mean going to flood? You don't even build a boat right here in the middle of the desert? There ain't no water around here to float a boat. But God told him, what kind of wood to use? How long to build? How wide? How high? He said, put one door, one window. Where to put the door and the window? God was very, very specific. And he said, do it this way. What do you think about Moses again? God said, you know, put that blood on the doorpost. What's that got to do with anything? Why should I put blood on the door? You know, it's dirty. <laughs> It's scary. It's just unsightly. What's that got to do with my salvation? And why, if I'm going to put blood there, why do I have to put it there specifically with a branch of hyssop? Dip that in the blood and then put it on the door. Why be so specific, God? What's that got to do with anything? And when it comes to making that animal sacrifice, why does it have to be roasted meat? I prefer my fried. Why does it have to be that way? And eat these bitter herbs on uh, Sabbath celebration, on the uh, Passover celebration? I hate bitter herbs. I don't like that stuff. Why does it have to be so specific? And when God told him, when he built the tabernacle, he said, put this altar out front and keep a fire going there all the time for burning the sacrifices. And when you go into the tabernacle to burn incense, get your fire from this altar here and go in there and put it on the altar of incense and burn your incense That What well, isn't fire fire? Wouldn't fire from over yonder burn just as well as fire from here? 
Hey, Devin and Bayhew must have thought it wasn't all that important to get fire from that particular place. I've often thought about that. Leviticus chapter 10. They, Devin and Bayhew, two sons of Aaron, and they went into uh, burnt incense in the tabernacle. And they brought strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now you think about that. Here's the tabernacle, and there's its door. And just a few yards out in front of that door, here's this big square altar that's got fire on it all the time. And they're going to take their fire pans and carry some hot coals in and burn incense. And for some reason, they brought fire from way over yonder, walked right past this altar, and went into the temple of the tabernacle to burn incense. I don't know why we go so much out of our way, go to so much trouble, do so many things the hardest way possible, just to avoid doing what God said do. Watch fire from here. Isn't fire fire? Well, when we come to the New Testament, what's baptism got to do with my getting into heaven? Oh. Acts 2 and verse 38. What does, what does my body bearing water have to do with my eternal soul? How does that get me into heaven? In all of these cases, the answer is the same. And it's simple. And it's plain, and nobody can fail to understand it. God said so. Are you my brother? Are you my sister? Did you have my mama? You know what she said. Mom, what? Because I said so, that's why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have to say mama. Well, that was good enough for mama. That's good enough for God. God said so. Well, who's God? Why do I have to care about that? Well, in the first place, he's eternal. How old are you? He's been around, I started to say, a long time. He was here before time was even measured. And he created the heaven and the earth and everything. And our time here is limited. You don't know anybody who was here when this country was founded. They're all gone. And you don't know anybody who's going to be here 200 years from now. They'll all be gone. Where do they go? Well, we're made of the dust of the earth. And that was the spirit in man. And the dust returns to the earth and the spirit returns to God. So this feeble aching, ailing, broken flesh is going to just decay and go away. But I, me, who I am, I'm going to go face to face with God. Then what? Where will I be? That's why it's important to know what God said. And heed what God said. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, in verse number 20, another example of faith. Isaac, by faith, blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Well, that doesn't seem like an example of faith. What's that got to do with anything? Well, he told them of the generations to come, what things are going to be like. Big deal. Well, yeah, it is a big deal. Because God told him what to expect. And he told others. 
That's a big deal. Am I going to believe what God said? Am I going to repeat what God said? Am I going to do what God said? Am I going to encourage others to do what God said? These people to whom Isaac was speaking lived the fulfillment of his words. It was true what he said. The accuracy of his words supports the inspiration and authority of God in his words. He spoke accurately what God told him, and that's a big deal. Are we going to speak accurately what God says to us in the pages of the New Testament? Hey. Your life can be a big deal. Your life is a big deal. What are we doing with it? Are we going to be praising God and serving Him as we were decided to do? Matthew chapter 28 is a big deal. Verses 18 through 20. The Lord told us to tell them. Jesus came and spoke to them and He said, All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. The Lord told the apostles to go teach, and to baptize people into Christ, and then to teach them to go teach others everything that Jesus had told them to do. Christians have the obligation, have the permission from the Lord to tell the whole world about Jesus and everything that he taught, everything that he wants us to do as we live in this world. Hebrews chapter 9, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. My neighbor has an appointment with the judge just as I do. He's going to have to give an answer for how he lives. Do I care what happens to him? You know, we haven't studied about hell in this week's series. And if we did, it would not be a comfortable lesson. You don't want to go to hell. I'm not going to preach that sermon right now, but just think about the title of it. Dark, hot, Screaming and yelling, chewing on yourself with your teeth. I mean, nasty, horrible, ugly, evil place. But people are going to be there in eternity. Never a change of circumstances. You don't know anybody you want to go through that. And if you think you do, you need to change your heart. You need to repent and have the love for them that Jesus did. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life John 3 and 16 there's not a soul in this world that God doesn't love one in heaven but only those who hear him and believe him and obey him are going to be there everybody needs to have that opportunity and it's up to us to give them that opportunity Faith is a conviction that leads to action. So let's spend some time reviewing our use of time. Think back over the last week. What have I done with the 168 hours that the Lord has given to me? 
how many of them have I given to his glorification? I didn't come here by my own choice or decision, my own power. I didn't even know I was coming. <laughs> All of a sudden I was born and I started screaming. <clears throat> but I learned some things along the way. And one thing I learned is I didn't come here by my own choice or decision or power. And I'm not going to be here forever. But I do have a choice in how I live here and where I go next. That's up to me. And we'll take that up in a later lesson today for Lord Jesus. But what am I doing with the time God has given? And what am I doing with the choices that he gives me? Does my use of time give evidence of faith in the Lord? Am I doing what I know that he told me to do? Am I concerned at all for the commission that he gave me in his kingdom? Remember James 2 and verse 19. Faith without works is dead. Is my faith a living faith or a dead faith? Hebrews says that by faith, faith moved Noah to build an ark. Do I have faith enough to move me to build a life of service to God? And that service to God is usually seen, it's always seen, in what I do with and for the people that I meet along the way. Let's pray to God that we might have that kind of faith, that he might be patient with us until we can grow that kind of faith and strengthen us in him. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, thank you so very much for the freedom, the blessing you've given to us to be able to assemble here today in a place like this. Thank you, Father, for the book you've given to guide us into understanding of all things necessary to our understanding of who we are, why we're here, where we came from, and where we're going most importantly, who you are and what we owe to you. Father, thank you for all these blessings. And now we ask you, Father, please also to bless us one more time. Bless us with your patience. Bless us with the forgiveness of uh, our sins by the blood of Jesus. And grant us a strengthening hope in the life that he has uh, gone to prepare for us in heaven that we might enjoy being with you in eternity, having the opportunity to praise you constantly, and thank you for all you've done for us, that we might be able to know your pleasure with us here and hereafter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to have about a 10-minute intercession, which is typical for Sunday morning, and then 11 o'clock will be very similar to normal uh we'll have a guest speaker and we're in a theme and we look forward to the next uh message so at this time you've got about 10 11 12 minutes if you need to get the drink of water stretch your legs or go to the restroom do that and then at 11 o'clock we'll have the uh, main hour of the day and then uh, uh lunch and then there'll be two more sessions following lunch.
Who's here besides you? Are you ready? Stay or is he already gone? You go outside. I have a catch in me right there. And it just turned me up. Where's your upper catch you've been having? What? Let's step 